You can go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 3, we're beginning in verse 14. I do want to thank you. Many of you prayed this past week. Um, I had the opportunity to speak at the uh, Missouri Baptist Convention's Pastors Conference, and uh, several have asked, so I'll just say again, yes, it, it really did. I really did perceive the Lord's help, um, and I really do think He helped not only myself, but the other speakers, and so I'm very grateful. Um, for the Lord's kindness and grace and uh, pray for the Lord as always to use His Word. Our passage this morning, uh, the context, if you if we had time to look at it, which we don't, but I'll just remind you, if you look over 2 Timothy 3, Paul is addressing the fact that there are difficult days just ahead for the church. <clears throat> difficult days as people show their the reality of their sin it's lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, all of those things that he saw around him and we see around us. The breaking up of lives, homes, because of error, because of um, man's ideas being fostered to the harm of human beings, which always happens whenever man thinks. He has solutions apart from God. He always starts with himself. And if you start with yourself without taking into account the biggest fact of the universe that it's made by God and we're accountable to Him, you'll always go astray. And so Paul, writing in that context, says, beginning in verse 14, 2 Timothy 3, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by His appearing in His kingdom preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry." So, Lord, now as we turn our eyes to look what we are told about Your Word and its place of supremacy in our minds, its power to lead us into an encounter of knowing You, of, of, of coming to faith through Christ revealed in this Word, would You let our hearts as well as our minds hear with understanding and embrace Your truth which You have given for our good and it is in Christ we pray. Amen. Well, happy Reformation weekend. If you didn't know, that's where we are. And when we think of the Reformation, we very often think about what happened 505 years ago tomorrow in Wittenberg, Germany, when Luther nailed his theses, um, presumably to the door of the Wittenberg church. But another key event took place four years later 
On April 18, 1521, when Luther stood before the assembled powers of the medieval world in the Diet of Worms, Emperor Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor, had called him there to recant his teaching of justification by faith alone. Luther was terrified. He begged the council for 24 hours to, to, to reconsider and, and then spent the whole night in agonizing prayer. But now the time had come. The demand was made again. Martin Luther, do you recant what you have written? Luther answered this time in a clear and ringing voice. Unless I'm convinced by sacred scripture or by evident reasoning from the scriptures, I cannot and will not retract anything I have written. I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted. My conscience is held captive to the word of God. And since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience, I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. That stance by Luther rooted in Scripture alone, sola scriptura, forms the basis of our faith this morning as biblical Christians and heirs of the Reformation. When most people think about the Reformation, they think first and primarily about sola fide, salvation by faith alone. And that certainly is a, a vital part of it. And we looked at that actually a year ago, though I don't expect that you would remember that. And they do so with good reason, because that is often called the formal cause of the Reformation. That was what most of the discussion was about. But the real issue underlying even that question is not just how are we saved, but the fundamental question, how do we know how we are saved? Uh, who gets to tell us what salvation is and how God does it? How do we know what we're supposed to believe and what we must believe? Does the Pope tell us? Or, or some council? Or do we each get to come up with our own version based on our own thoughts and feelings? How do you know what you know and what you must know? Who has the authority to tell us these things and whose word must we believe? That is the question we want to look at. You see, Luther's problem with the Roman church wasn't that it had one opinion and he had another. Luther's concern was that they had rested their opinions on popes and councils and traditions outside of Scripture. While he himself had gone back to the Scriptures to find out what Jesus and the apostles had actually said and what the early church based on that had actually taught and discovered that these two things were indeed worlds apart. And so it was this conviction that it is by Scripture alone that we gain all the truth about God we need and all the truth we need to know about our sin and what Christ has come to do to free us from that sin. This is what makes all the difference in the world. And so this morning I want us to look again at what this doctrine of sola scriptura means and why it still matters today. And so let's just begin there, that the meaning of sola scriptura and the sufficiency of the Bible to lead us into truth. Uh, sola scriptura is the conviction that the Bible alone, since it is God's Word and He is its author, that the Bible alone is the one source of truth we need to know God and to come to a sure knowledge of His salvation through Christ and then to live for Christ whom we trust. Amen. Or to put it more technically... The Bible alone is the sufficient and final authority for all faith and practice. 
It gives us everything we need to know God. It provides us with all we must have in order to walk with God. And there is nothing missing in the testimony of Scripture that we do need in order to know and walk with God. The Scripture itself gives us this. It isn't that what Paul is telling Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 and 4. Look at it again. Chapter 3, verse 15, he says to Timothy, How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So what is it that is able to make you wise for salvation? It's the sacred writings. It's the Scriptures. Now as he is writing, he is thinking primarily the Old Testament Scriptures, but as the New Testament era came to a conclusion, we also then had on the same footing the New Testament Scriptures. Verse 13 to 17, Likewise, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God, the woman of God, the church of God, the people of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so the very character of Scripture gives it a unique authority over our lives. Paul says that it is breathed out by God. I mentioned before, it's the word theopnoist. God exhaled. Uh, These are not the ramblings of men about God, but they are the words of God given through men. 2 Peter 1 says, Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. St. Augustine therefore concluded what Scripture says, God says. This is God's Word. This is His very voice. And so these words carry the full authority of God Himself, making them the rule of life and everything, giving us, them, giving us the truth that we need to understand the world He has made, our place in it, our fall from Him, and how we may be restored to Him. Proverbs 30, verse 5, Every word of God proves true. So notice again what Paul says there in verse 17. He says that these God-breathed Scriptures are given, verse 17, that the man of God, that the woman of God, the church of God, the people of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Now think of that. Think of that phrase. Complete equipped for every good work. So that if there is any good work God requires you to do, the Scriptures will equip you to do it. And if there is, Meaning also that there is nothing that God would have you do that He doesn't equip you for in the Scriptures. And likewise, there is nothing God would have you believe that is not taught likewise in the Scriptures. Now that doesn't mean that it tells us everything about everything. It tells me nothing about how to change the tire on my car. It wasn't intended for that, but in everything it addresses, in every area that it gives us insight, it is giving us all we need to know God, to know our place, to know how we fell, to know how we were restored, and how we live through faith in Christ. So that's what we mean when we say that the Scriptures are sufficient. It means that they're enough. It means they don't need to be supplemented or added to by any other outside source in order to make God known and in order to lead us to do God's will. It means that we don't need a new revelation to add to the Bible, like the Book of Mormon or the latest writings of Joel Osteen. Nor do we need the accumulated traditions of papal pronouncements or the interpretive grid provided by something like CRT. 
It is the Scripture alone that carries the final authority for all faith and practice. Meaning what? Well, meaning that whenever there is a controversy or question about anything we should believe as believers, where do we turn? Yeah, not to, well, I've always believed, or I've always thought, or my pastor said, or the Pope says, or Apostle Frank down the street has declared... Nor do we look to, well, this church has always said, or Baptists have always believed, or Dr. Snodgrass on YouTube said. No, we ask, what saith the Word of God? What has God declared? That's our authority. And you'll notice, that's why Timothy is then commanded in this context, in chapter 4, verse 1, preach the Word, Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. That's, By the way, that's a huge charge. (laughs) I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, the one that you're going to stand before and give answer, and your people are going to stand before and give answer. I charge you, preach the Word. Why? Verse 3, For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And church, we live in such a day. People prefer teachers who will tickle their ears and confirm their biases rather than to letting the Word bring its challenge. But ear tickling has never saved a soul or changed a life or brought life from the dead. Only the Word can do that. And so the issue of sola scriptura is not just an academic One, out here, outside of our lives, it is literally a matter of life and death. Deuteronomy 32, verse 47 says, For this is no empty word for you, but your very life. You remember how Jesus handled the Scriptures? When Jesus was confronted by Satan with the temptation, how did He fight? Where did Jesus turn? Yeah, you know the answer. Matthew 4, verse 4, he answered Satan and said, It is written, notice that, it is written, Satan, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. By every word. And so, he did not turn to rabbinical tradition. He didn't run to the Greek philosophers. He didn't even turn to his personal experience and opinion. And if anybody could have gone to his own personal opinion, it would have been Jesus. (laughs) But he runs straight for the word of God. Which brings me into the, the main body of what I want us to look at based on that, based on the sufficiency of Scripture, and that is beware, church, of man-made substitutes and challenges to sola scriptura. Beware of those things that we would add to Scripture and see as on an equal footing with Scripture as we seek to understand who we are before God, what God requires of us, and how we must live. Because there are many things that people try to substitute or to impose upon Scripture. Luther himself faced two major ones in his day that are still very relevant for us in our day. So let's look at those. First of all, the addition of human tradition as an authority with or above Scripture. The addition of human tradition. For for Luther... This was represented in the power of the Catholic Church to redefine Scripture using tradition. A Catholic theology, then as now, holds that Scripture and tradition are on an equal footing, equal sources of authority that we must pay attention to. And so they would say, what we believe is not found in Scripture alone, 
but in Scripture plus tradition as interpreted by papal and council decrees. So this is where such things as purgatory and indulgences, prayers for the saints, the veneration of Mary enter in. Not because any of these things are found in Scripture, they're not, but they were developed through church tradition and once proclaimed as part of the body of faith must be believed by faithful Catholics. And so for Catholics, Scripture and tradition are on equal footing. By the way, that's not just my Protestant spin on things. That's the plain statement of the Catholic Church in its own catechism. The Roman Catholic Catechism says that the Roman Catholic Church does not derive her certainty about all revealed truths from the Holy Scriptures alone. Both Scripture and tradition must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence. Now, do you see what the problem with that is? Do you see where that will inevitably lead? Once you place anything on an equal footing with Scripture as the authority for what you will believe, it is not long before that thing, whatever it is, turns around and gobbles up Scripture and becomes the true authority over Scripture. If tradition equals Scripture, that tradition can then trump Scripture. And that is what happened historically in the medieval Catholic Church. Again, where do you think the authority came from to believe something like indulgences, which was Martin Luther's issue? That you could pay money to the Pope and get your dead mother out of purgatory early. As soon as the coin in the coffer rings, another soul from purgatory flings, Tetzel is reputed to have said. Or the idea that when the priest holds up the wafer and pronounces certain words, that it actually becomes the body of Christ through transubstantiation. Or the doctrine of priestly celibacy. Or Mary as a co-redeemer with Christ. These develop through tradition as interpreted by popes and councils apart from Scripture. Again, once tradition becomes equal to Scripture, tradition can then be turned against Scripture in order to reinterpret it. And when tradition becomes the final interpreter of Scripture, what really has the authority now? God's unchanging word? Is it the one with the authority? Or is it the words that men have added to that through this thing that they've tried to hold up equal to it? Really what it is, it's not even the tradition itself that then becomes the authority. It's the men who give the tradition who become the authority. That's what was happening in Luther's day. It was also what the Pharisees were doing in Jesus' day. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 6. It says, Jesus said to them, to His assembled crowd, uh, specifically the Pharisees and the the scribes, He said, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors Me with their lips, but their heart is far from Me. In vain do they worship Me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. You make void, this is verse 13, you make void the Word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and you do many such things. What is it that has made void the Word of God according to Jesus? What is it that has emptied the Word of its power? It was their traditions by which they reinterpreted God's Word to make it agree with their rabbinical opinions. Now, 
Let me be really clear. I'm not just picking on Catholics. I'm using that example because it's, it's a very clear example from history. It's a very clear example of what Luther was dealing with. But let's be honest. There are lots of ways that we do the same thing and see the same thing happening in our own day. Every cult or movement or fad that holds up some other source of revelation next to Scripture, like the Book of Mormon, empties Scripture of its power because that thing becomes the thing that then interprets Scripture. Charismatic prophets who treat their prophecies and words of wisdom as direct words from God, an actual revelation from God, they minimize an empty Scripture of its power. And come on, let's include us Baptists in this because we're not exempt. Uh, Our legalism historically, which has set man-made rules up against Scripture, trivializes God's Word. When I first became a Christian, if a guy didn't cut his hair in a certain way, uh, if he had a tattoo, uh, that was a sin. I mean, poor Kanoa would just be out of luck. Um, if If a guy was known to have had a beer somewhere, that was sin. If a woman wore pants... She is in grave sin. For many today, it's not legalism. We've shifted to the other side. Cultural liberalism trumps Scripture. So when the world embraces same-sex marriage or gender fluidity or whatever comes next, the church, in order to keep up, has to find a way to fit those things into Scripture. They've got to scramble the Word so that it somehow will match what the cultural around us is telling us. So it, so it can accommodate to Scripture. But do, again, do you see what is taking place? What is the real source of authority? Now, the Scriptures, which do not change, or the changeable nature of our own traditions by which we reinterpret Scripture to fit our preferences. It again, becomes the loss of sola scriptura in favor of human authority of some kind. And ultimately, it is the loss of truth. Uh, the same thing could be said of a psychologized view of man uh, that, that, that views man differently from the way Scripture proclaims a sinner in need of salvation uh, to, to something else. Um, it, it's whenever we add anything up against Scripture, well, how about this, our political commitments, whether conservative or liberal. If your politics comes on an equal footing with Scripture and your favorite news channel or favorite commentary uh, is the one who speaks the unvarnished truth and now you've got to make His truth fit with Scripture, you have emptied Scripture of its power. And we do that on both sides of the aisle, unfortunately. So that's one battle that Luther was facing. Human tradition imposed from outside, forced upon Scripture to which Scripture must conform. And as I say, we face that too and we've got to be aware of that. But... There was another threat to Sola Scriptura that, if anything, was even more insidious because it was a lot sneakier. And that is the inward threat of personal autonomy. I raise my own feelings and my assumptions up to a level of Scripture. And again... Luther faced both these opponents, not just the Catholic Church with its rule rule of tradition, but also a group that he called the Schwarmer, the Swarms. Uh, The enthusiasts, the fanatics. And they were called enthusiasts specifically because that that literally means God within, enthusiasts, God within, God within-ism. These enthusiasts were mystics who believed that they had reached the point spiritually where they no longer needed the objective word of God speaking from outside. No, no, they could look down within themselves and find God. 
The Holy Spirit, they said, was leading them directly and immediately apart from the words of Scripture, enabling them to then interpret Scripture in private and personal ways that very often went against the plain meaning of the words of the Bible. In other words, the big question again is, how does God speak to us today? Where do you look when you need to hear from God? Do you look down inside yourself? Do you look down at your feelings and impressions and interpret those as some spiritual guidance? Or do you look outside of yourself to the objective Word of God, to the things that God actually did say in words and sentences through Paul and James and David and Moses and Matthew, Mark, Luke and John? And above all, Jesus. For the Reformers, there could be no question. God's Word was found only in one place, in the written text of God's Word. So if I want to hear from God, I must go to the Word, to the text of Scripture, and labor to understand what He said there. Someone says, do you have a Word from God? Yes, I do. Here it is. Now let's talk about what it is. But the enthusiasts took a shortcut to personal, private revelations, to to inward feelings and impressions which they claimed came directly from God, but which often led anywhere but to God. For instance, in the city of Munster, look it up sometime, uh, there was a group of enthusiasts that took it over and they established their, 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 their communal life and before long they'd abolished marriage, they'd opened up to free love, they'd abolished all personal property, uh, everyone was supposed to share and it works out as it almost always does that, that then there was jealousy and fighting and before long murder and intrigue and a complete uh, destruction. Again, once your source of authority is anything but the written Word of God alone, once you add anything else, whether popes or councils or inward feelings and impressions, you lose the objective Word of God. And then as Luther said, you become your own pope with the power to bend Scripture to your own will. Luther said this about that. He said, In these matters which concern the external spoken word, we must hold firmly to the conviction that God gives no one His Spirit or grace except through and with the external word which comes before. Thus we shall be protected from the enthusiasts, that is, from the spiritualists who boast that they possess the Spirit without and before the Word and who therefore judge, interpret, and twist the Scriptures or spoken Word according to their own pleasure. And again, we see the same thing happening in our day in many places. I'll just highlight a couple. First of all, we see it today in the Word of Faith type preachers and others who bypass Scripture with a personal, well, God told me. Uh, The Holy Spirit says, through me. And what follows often has very little to do with Scripture at all. There's no exposition of God's Word. There's just more and more of their words. Jeremiah 14.14 was speaking of such, I believe, when he said, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They're prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. Luther encountered people like that. After hearing one of them speak, he shouted, But you said nothing of Scripture! To which the man replied, Oh, you're just not spiritual enough to receive this revelation. I actually had a guy tell me that one time. We were uh, in in a prior church some time ago, and they were taking a course that just was not biblical. 
and, and they had pronounced, the, the, the brother I was talking to had pronounced this, this statement, and, and I said, Brother, you didn't get that from Scripture. And he said, Well, I thought you were more spiritual than that. I thought you could receive such teaching. No, I can't. Luther said, Such men are not Christian at all who go beyond the Word. I wouldn't listen to one of them even if he boasted of being full and overfilled with ten Holy Spirits. Of another, Thomas Munster, he said, Munster apparently thinks he swallowed the Holy Spirit whole, feathers and all. That was Luther. Those who go beyond the Word to insist on their private revelation are not Christian at all. They are devils. Second, the modern perversion of sola scriptura into what I would call solo scriptura. This is the quest for personalized truth. And so if sola scriptura means the scripture alone is the final authority that we seek, uh, that scripture alone is the final authority as we seek God together as the church, solo scriptura means I alone by myself come up with my own personal spin on scripture and then try to blame that on God. And many evangelicals do this. You know this. They go off by themselves into a corner and come out with their own private little spin on the text. But the question they're asking is the wrong question. They're not asking, what does the Scripture say? What did it say to Paul? Therefore, what does it mean to me? They're saying, what does it say to me? Uh, what do I think this means? As if Paul had not written Corinthians to the Corinthian church 2,000 years ago addressing specific issues, but to them personally addressing nothing in particular. And so they're free just to take the words any way they like and seek their own private interpretation. And once they've found the interpretation that suits them, they say, well, who are you to tell me that I'm wrong? That's how I see it. My opinion's as good as anybody else's. Well, no, it's not. But you see, that's one more, of, one more way of bending the Word. I refuse to submit to the objective Word that comes from outside, and instead I turn inwardly, treating Scripture as nothing more than a mirror for my own preferences and desires. The result is the same. The Bible is emptied of its power. It's teaching rejected in favor of personal feelings and preferences. Now you're not hearing what God has actually said. You're only hearing your little voice amplified as if it were God. And that is not a faithful reading of the Bible. That is not the point of sola scriptura. That's just a shell game that lets me use the Bible to confirm what I wanted to believe anyway. And it leads to heresy and misery and foolishness. Now, do understand, we do want you to read the Bible individually. <laughs> I want you to read the Bible personally and regularly. But as you read it, you read it not individually as if you're the only person in existence, but in the community of the church. Its teaching is to be permeating our lives together as we as a community of, of blood-bought people brought together in the community of Christ's church labor together and work together to hear what God has actually said in these words and phrases and sentences. And so we check each other and we correct each other. We want that interaction because we recognize, first of all, that we, each and every one of us, are sinners and able to be misled. right? And second of all, that the Holy Spirit is not any any of our private possession, feathers and all, 
in a way that, that we can go off on our own like that. No, He is the sovereign possessor of the church and of each one of us. And so according to Ephesians, the Holy Spirit has given to the church pastors and teachers and others to lead us in the process of understanding, to challenge us and to rebuke us and correct us and train us, always going back to the Scripture. He put us together in the fellowship of the church where we together wrestle through these things and learn from each other as the Bible is in front of us. I've said it to you before, I am not your Pope. I don't have a direct line of access to God that has been denied to you. I have one thing. I have the Word. And so if what I say doesn't match the Word, if my teaching cannot be proved by Scriptures, don't believe it. But where the Word speaks clearly and has been faithfully exposited by me or Warren or or Kyle or whoever stands here, then all opinions and personal preferences must bow. Because it is the Word faithfully proclaimed. Second, not only must we read the Bible in community with the church, but we must also read the Bible in continuity with faithful men and women throughout church history. You understand, we are not the first generation who have read this Bible. We're not the first generation to have struggled with what it means and how to be faithful in applying its teaching. We have behind us a rich heritage of faithful believers, some of them giants like Luther and Calvin, Augustine, Edward, Spurgeon, Martin Lloyd-Jones, R.C. Sproul. Take your pick there. These faithful, spirit-filled men and women have wrestled with the truth of Scripture, seeking to put it into practice, and we can learn much from them. In fact, we must learn much from them. Because here's the wonderful thing about, about some of the, the older theologies and writings. Yes, they had their blind spots just like we have our blind spots, but here's the thing. They had different blind spots. Amen. And many times you'll look and you'll read somebody, you know, you'll read Calvin and say, boy, he missed it on baptism. Poor guy. That's a Baptist interpretation, I understand. But there are other things you'll read in, in Luther and you'll say, boy, why did he get that so wrong? Because Not because you, you yourself think it. You look at Scripture and say, well, he missed that little bit. But then you let Luther, Luther lead, read you a little bit and he's looking at my 21st century assumptions and he's saying, boy, did you get that wrong. Go back to Scripture, Scott, and see what the Bible said and get that from the Bible. We need that. That's why we need the help of the historic creeds and confessions of the Christian faith that we're trying to use. It's, it's not that they're on a par with Scripture. They're not at all. Or that they can be used in place of Scripture. They can't. We must always test them with the Word or we'll be right back in the tradition thing. But they can help us check our faith against the biblical wisdom of spiritual giants who've gone before us. And we need that. Listen, I'll just say this. If you come away from the Bible in your little closet with a new teaching that nobody in 2,000 years has ever heard of, my dear friend, you've just danced into heresy. And it's probably not even a new one. Some other heretic came up with it long before you ever did. You just didn't know it. And and so, so you need to go back to Scripture with humility and check yourself against the Scriptures, against these faithful believers, against friends in the faith who can help you see more clearly. Because this is a project that we're engaging in together. You know, it's really popular to think that Luther was completely alone, a bold individualist as he stood there against the assembled powers of the medieval church. Truth is, Luther was anything but alone. As he stood there declaring his faith in the authority of Scripture, he knew he was standing on the shoulders of giants who'd gone before him. He knew that. He knew that none of these things he was preaching was new. Luther didn't think, I'm bringing something new nobody's seen. He said, I'm bringing back the old that we've forgotten. 
He knew that men like Jan Hus and John Wycliffe and others had preached this same faithful message that church fathers like Augustine and Irenaeus and, and the martyrs and the saints and the apostles had preached this same message. He knew he was standing exactly where they had stood on the solid footing of God's Word. It was not he that came up with something new. The church had diverted into something false. And it is on this same Word that you and I must take our stand as well if we're to know the truth and to live truly for God in our day. And friend, you can't do that by just coming to church once a week to hear a sermon. You can't just assume that by attending worship or a, or, or a Bible study that you'll come to know God and know His truth and gain the assurance of heaven that you need. The forces arrayed against you that are always prying at your mind are too severe. We ourselves must labor to know God together as He's revealed Himself in Scripture and above all in the Gospel. And, 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 and the only way to know Him is to submit our minds and our hearts and all we are to the faithful teaching of His Word. We must be a people who are sola scriptura. Scripture alone is the foundation for belief and practice. Well, I need to close, so let me do that with, you guessed it, two quotes from Luther. I'll say one from Luther and one we think is from Luther. Sometimes you go on the internet and it says Luther. You gotta be, it's not always Luther. This one is by Luther. He says, A fiery shield is God's word of more substance and purer than gold, which tried by the fire loses nothing of its substance, but resists and overcomes all the fury of the fiery heat. Even so, he that believes God's word overcomes and remains secure everlastingly against all misfortunes. For this shield fears nothing, neither hell nor the devil. Amen. Yes. And then this one, oh, I want this one to be Luther, and I think it is. But I couldn't find, I couldn't find the reference in anything I had. Pseudo-Luther maybe said, The Bible is alive, it speaks to me. It has feet, it runs after me. It has hands, it lays hold of me. The Bible is neither ancient nor modern, it is eternal. And it is that Bible that points us to our need for Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we begin to think in the next few weeks of how we might live as Christians in a culture that has lost its footing, and how we might love as Christians other image bearers in a culture that is filled with hatred and accusation. As we try to think about what we should think of many confusing and contested things, would you begin by laying a hard, clear foundation for us upon the Word of God, upon the truth that God Himself has spoken and given to us for our good and our instruction, and above and beyond that would You from that Word lead us to Christ to see the Savior for sinners who died in our place and took up His life again on the third day to give us life eternally? And would You let us, by the promise of these Scriptures, trust in Him and Him only that we might everlastingly belong to You. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen.